walking in a country and I've been chasing after my shadow. Welcome back to the Camino Podcast, episode 64. I'm Dave Whitson. Nobody asked me my name. Imagine that it is your dream to run an albergue. Maybe that's not a stretch for some of you. But imagine that opportunity comes knocking in the middle of COVID, when the pilgrimage has been operating in fits and starts, and when the future is murky. Do you make the leap? And then imagine that you dive in headfirst, alive with all of the dreams and possibilities of what will be, filled with anticipation as the world gradually reopens and the pandemic ebbs. At that moment, though, Your reopening is first delayed by family obligations and then thwarted entirely by necessary repair work on the building. Your first two years of living that dream, only to have it unfold, maybe not as a nightmare, but certainly not according to plan. This episode features Julia Sotanis' story. In 2021, she took over Albergue Izara in the village of Cabo Redondo, on the Camino del Norte. The albergue was founded by the acclaimed hospitalero Alex of Bodenaya fame and carried forward the high level of hospitality and care enjoyed by many pilgrims in that much-loved stop on the Primitivo. It would be understandable if Julia had soured on the experience or decided that this wasn't working out and opted to cut her losses. Instead, She's preparing to reopen for 2023 later this week, on the 15th of March. This episode is also about donativos on the Camino. Lori Dennett talked about the importance of donativos back in episode 61, and it has been on my mind ever since. As each new generation of pilgrims finds their way to the Camino, the shared understanding of Camino norms shifts. Not that long ago, Normal used to mean walking without reservations, staying in town in church-run albergues, walking longer distances, paying three to five euros for a bed, carrying your pack, and being largely disconnected from the outside world. This is not a value judgment. Things change. It makes other things better, certain other things worse, and still more other things more complicated. And the degree to which each of those things happens will vary based on individual preferences. The bigger point, though, is that there are often very good reasons why traditions exist. And those who are new to a place or to a field often lack the context to appreciate why those traditions matter and are worth protecting. Coming from the U.S., I think it would be really easy to be a bit mystified about a donation-based albergue and even to take some comfort in the clarity and apparent transparency of a set list of prices. I just had a conversation with a couple of former students yesterday about what the appropriate amount is to give to a donativo. From that perspective, it would be easy to think that the donativo approach might be nice and quaint, an honorable homage to how things used to be, but also a bit of an anachronism and not necessarily something worth prioritizing or protecting. But it is worth protecting, and it needs protecting all the more 
after the turmoil of the last few years. To understand why, I think it's essential to hear from someone who is living according to these values, who has put her money where her mouth is. In Julia too, it's helpful to hear from a younger pilgrim who is new to this life as an hospitalera. In our conversation, both recorded and off-tape, Julia highlighted the crucial role played by her mentors and her inspirations, the older generations of hospitaleros who maintained this tradition, like Alex of Bodenaya, like Padre Ernesto of Guemes. To understand why it matters to the Camino today, why this is a place that the pilgrimage spirit is cultivated and nourished, I wanted to hear from someone who only just made the decision to commit their life to this work. It's important to stress from the outset that the goal here is not to implicitly or explicitly criticize albergues and other accommodations that have a set price. I've been singing the praises of a lot of different jeets in France lately that fall in that category. And they have dutiful and dedicated hosts who do wonderful work. I look forward to staying with them again. The point, though, is that there is something about the donativo-based accommodation that is essential, that is integral to the Camino experience. Stay tuned, and Julia will tell you more about why. So, Julia, what made you want to become a hospitalera? During my first Camino in 2012, I hit a place called in Ruitelan on the French Camino. Mm-hmm. There was this lovely couple of people. I just had the feeling that I loved that. I loved the way they welcomed us. I heard Ave Maria. They wake you up with Ave Maria, like, like in many other places. And that was the little seed. And well, the other, the donativos. I was in after Cruz de Hierro, El Acebo. Mm-hmm. I felt this too. And then I was on the Aragonese and there's another nice donativo place. You know, it happens many times and it just feeds a sort of fire in me. And then what happened was just, I couldn't help it. I didn't even know that once I told my mom, that all I wanted to do in my life was opening an albergue. There was at least five years ago, I had no clue I had said that. But when the chance of of having my own place popped out, I told her mom, look, I have this chance. I don't know if this is crazy or should I do it? And she was like, sure, this is your dream. Hmm. Is it my dream? Okay, then maybe I should. (laughs) Here I am. I think for some people, when they are walking and they have a great experience on pilgrimage, it means that they want to walk more. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that they want to become hosts. Mm -hmm. What do you think it was that made you want to move in that direction, that specifically you wanted to be taking care of pilgrims? It's. I think service is something I am made for. I just love being useful and I love, uh, the more I go with this, the more I feel that like the meaning of my life somehow you know and I didn't know that until I started I just did one week volunteering for a friend but in a way it's also it's a way to to give back what you received and it's probably the answer most of us give you if you ask 
it's also another way of living the Camino. It's like being, you know, your body can be pushed a lot during a Camino. And this is a way of, I can't say not working because you're still working. You're doing <laughs> your best and you wake up early and you take care and you make breakfast. But it's a way of traveling without moving, mm. like Jamie Roquay would say. And also you still get to see many, many people and you each day is different. Just like on the Camino, you have this routine repeatedly, same but yet different every day, right? Yeah. What brought you to Cabo Redondo specifically? I wouldn't be able to say. Ironically, I never walked the Camino del Norte. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always admired Alex. Alex is the man who built Izarra, which is the name of the albergue. I've always admired him for what he did in Bodenaya. was never able to meet him in Bodenaya. And when I saw there was a page, a Facebook page for the albergue in Cabo Redondo, I always looked at this place as a place I would like to see, a place I would like to be. But for a reason, I was never able to walk this Camino. Then during 2020, I took a break and I, I thought I just need to go there. I saw he was selling, the place was on sale. And I said, I, I just need to go there and see. Then I was told someone else was interested in the house. So I kind of said, well, okay, it's not my thing. Then maybe it's not really for me. I was really open to anything. After a few months, Alex called me saying that this person was not interested anymore. And he called off the whole process. So here I go. I, I said to myself, you missed your chance once. You're not going to miss it twice. But that was 2021. There were blocks and lockdowns all over Europe. So it was not easy to get here first time. Have you been able to settle into the village at all? And do you have a sense of what the village life is like? Yes and no. I mean, I'm for some reasons, I can talk to anyone, but I'm pretty shy mm -hmm. outside. And also, I love this house so much. And I love being at home that I just lock myself in if <laughs> I'm not stimulated. During the season, you get stimulated so much by people, 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 then I think I need more time. But people here are lovely. They are lovely. They welcomed me with the best welcome they could give me. And it's, it's a really quiet place. It's beautiful. If you've been here, you, you will know. It's really close to the sea and it's not crowded. It just gets more lively during the summer. I think it gets a little bit overshadowed on the Camino del Norte because it's kind of in between the stages and it's after Santiana del Mar, which is very famous. And so people might not notice it as much, but it also does have one of the very, very oldest churches on the whole Camino del Norte. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Santillana is also very crowded. Yeah. So people like passing by, but sometimes they come and when they get here, they're very, very happy to get to a quiet place you know after Santillana there is Comillas I'm in between Santillana and Comillas so Comillas is also very beautiful and touristic too yeah so it's a good spot I think that's one of the things that stands out to me thinking about the Norte that you can have your stages end in busy tourist towns mm -hmm. and sometimes feel like maybe the spirit of the Camino is a little bit lacking because you are overshadowed by tourists. Mm -hmm. But there are also often 
these albergues in the the middle of the stage mm -hmm. outside of the tourist sector that are much more focused on pilgrims i would say most of the donativos are out of the baker towns yeah you touched on this you took over during covid yeah what was that like i don't want to sound unsensitive but I didn't care. I just didn't care. I just knew I wanted to do it. And I thought I will do it. For me, I was just careful not to break rules or, you know, to be respectful of other people's fears and all the necessities people might have. We were like cut half the number of beds were cut in half. So I was spreading and making distance and making sure everyone was feeling safe because this is what I I mean, I like you to be to feel it at home. If you don't feel at home, then just it's not worth for me. But I must say people would come in wearing masks and being very worried. And then in the end, what happens in an albergue de donativo is that you end up having dinner together and sleeping in the same dorm. So they were just relaxing and forgetting about all the bad stuff that was happening outside, you know. So you feel like during that time you were still able to maintain kind of the normal feel of the albergue experience even during COVID? You know, I started during COVID. Yeah. So I don't know what it was before. <laughs> <laughs> that was easier. You know what it was like as a walker. As a walker, yeah. Yeah, but it just, <laughs> it, it just was what it was. And I went with the flow. I just felt that uh, it was what I had to do. And I didn't really question it. <laughs> Maybe what stressed me most, but if this is how I'm made, I just need to give my best. So sometimes I overdo. I'm like a very affectionate granny sometimes. I just want you to, I'm Italian, I want you to eat. <laughs> you <know? laughs> so sometimes I might, but that's nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> this is Julia. So you took over during COVID and then last year 2022 mm -hmm. there was kind of this feeling that okay the Camino is starting to get back to normal mm -hmm. COVID isn't mm -hmm. over but it is less of a pressing concern and then your albergue got shut down what happened <laughs> okay long story short I trusted someone I thought it was a friend who was supposed to help me fixing something on the upper floor, which is where I live. Because the albergue in the state, it was, it was perfect to be run. There was nothing to do in the dorms. Toilets were good. The kitchen was good. Nothing to do there. But I just wanted to feel at home myself because one of the things Alex told me first day, he said, just remember, this is your house first. If you feel okay, you can hold other people. If you don't, then... You know, you need to feel safe and good. So I thought I'd renew upstairs and this person was staying here. And when I came back, well, for other personal family reasons, I couldn't come back in time to open in April, March. But when I arrived, nothing was done. And so I needed to just take time and restart. And I ended up living in the dorm myself. So I couldn't really host people because I was living there and there were lots of stuff in the dorm. But, you know, a few people passed by and rang me. And during the end of the season, I was very happy to stay in the dorm with other pilgrims. And this was really, really, really more authentic than authenticity on <laughs> the coming for me. Did you start to feel like you were cursed? Yes, yes, yes. 
COVID was a blessing for me, I have okay. to say, because I would never arrived here if there wasn't COVID, you know. The second part was more feeling most like a like a curse, but I went through it. <laughs> My family asked me, how did you do it? We don't know how you ho- you kept your my mental state i mean sometimes was hard but i held and i also i said okay i cannot help here i still have savings i have help i will go and help someone else so i went volunteering for other albergues and that was it was fresh air for me i just met other hospitaleros i got to know other places that's how summer went but 2023 it should be a good year. Yeah. You reopen. What is your plan for 2023? I'm opening next week. And, you know, it always feels like sometimes I can get very perfectionist. Ah, maybe I'm not ready. Maybe I should do this and that and that. And I don't care. I just want to open and things will just flow. Are there one or two stories from your time as an hospitalera so far, interrupted as it has been at different points, that kind of stand out for you as being... Oh, yeah. You know, exemplifying the Hospitalera experience. The Camino is always amazing. One is peculiar because I was meant to go for laundry. My washing machine was not working for some reasons. This is all same course. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was late November and I decided I wanted to go for a public laundry far from here, like in San Vicente de la Barquera, which is 27 kilometers, but I just felt like having a go. So I get a car and when I'm in Cobreses, which is just around the corner here, there's a hitchhiker, but with a backpack. So what you do, you just stop and just jump in. Tell me your story. He's a young German guy. In the end, he comes with me to San Vicente de la Barquera. He was not a peregrino. It was just a hiker. Comes with me to San Vicente. We talk. He asks me, could I stay at your place for the night maybe? Sure you can, so you come back with me. While we go back, he sees someone he knows on the Camino. He said, that pilgrim, I know that girl. And I thought, okay, maybe they met yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. But she was a friend he met three years before in New Zealand. (laughs) And they never, they had no clue they were there. So, of course, I take her with me. And she was walking, she was almost in San Vicente, so the poor girl was brought back <laughs> to my place. We had dinner together, and she convinced him to go on the Camino with her. So the next day, I take them exactly where I I dropped them, exactly where I had picked them up, <laughs> and they kept walking for a week. And that made me so happy that this thing just would keep me going for the next season, even if I wouldn't have anything special, which actually will happen anyway because Camino is magic. So every day there's a story. What have you learned so far? You were a pilgrim Uh and you benefited from hospitality. Uh Now you are the host. You are offering hospitality. What have you learned as a host that might change how you behave as a pilgrim? Respect boundaries. As a pilgrim, in the enthusiasm, you live in endorphin constant. You know, you're... You're mostly happy, you have no thoughts, but sometimes you can get needy as well. And you want to help everywhere, everyone. But sometimes you just need just calm down, receive. And if you're asked, you can help. Otherwise, just relax. It's okay to relax. 
<laughs> have you made any changes to what you need to do as a host in your short time? Have you oh, yeah. had any insights about what what's important for you? Yeah, you need to give sort of the rules, just a few rules, and ask for help if you need to, because pilgrims are ready to help you, but you need to direct them if you want to, and trust them. I saw at first when I arrived, I was very focused on containing them somehow. You know, you just put your bag there, put your shoes there. This is the kitchen, but I only use it. That's my kitchen. <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, at the end of the season last year, I was very happy to be helped. And it was all a contribution. It was all just put on the table what you have. I will put what I have. It's going to be easy. It's much easier than I thought. You're just more relaxed with the experience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Do pilgrims generally behave as they should? Most of the times they do, yeah. I think the hardest is summer, full summer, maybe August. You know, there are many people. Maybe some of them are more turigrinos. Some people just consider Donativos as a cheap place to stay, so they might not really have a clue. And also, you know, Camino del Norte, as you said, has less spirit of the Camino. So if you've walked other Caminos, maybe you know what this kind of place could be. If you haven't, you might have skipped Güemes or Ronton or some other donativos before me. Maybe you don't know what this is like. So it's not their fault. They just ignore it. So that's why maybe a little bit of instructions would help. <laughs> I want to talk about the Donativo model for a little mm -hmm. while, because I think it's important. And as you say, there are pilgrims who are coming into it who don't necessarily understand it. Even those who walk the Camino Frances at this point, there are so mm -hmm. many private albergues along the way, so many that clearly have a set price that that idea might feel like something that's foreign to even experienced pilgrims. So why do you follow the Donativo model? My personal reason is, first of all, the idea of charging someone and keeping the expectation really freaks me out. So I'm at ease with giving the best I can, hoping and knowing maybe I'm too naive to think that who stays in my place would do the same with me, you know. Some people can take advantage, some people won't. And that's not my problem anymore, you know. And then there's also... The idea of being part of a process that's bigger than me. And just for me, it's a way of changing how the world works. On the Camino, many times I felt like a walking wallet. <laughs> you know, you just, you just feel like everything you get charged for. And many people get in and ask you, what's the price of this? What's the price of that? How much is the dinner? How much is the laundry? Like, just relax. I don't like the idea that we all we have to price everything. I give you this and then you give me that. It's not how it works. I might give you this and then tomorrow you give something to someone else. It's not just a one-to-one. -one. It's like fire. If I light your candle, then with your candle, you can light other candles. You don't need to give me my flame back, you know. <laughs> I don't know if I... That makes sense. I like that. Yeah, it makes sense. And I always tell them just to make it clear that what you get here is thanks to the ones who came before us. And so what we leave today to the next ones will be received tomorrow and they will 
be thankful, hopefully. So easy. It's worth taking a step back and just clarifying that in, in your albergue, we're not just talking about a bed. No. What is on offer? I actually, I took a few beds out because I would like more space. And I have the feeling that it's not the number that makes it special. So I don't want many people crowding the place. What I like is like sharing the same table and sitting together. And some people don't like it and they just come in and have a sleep. And the day after they just leave and it's fine. But I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the exchange. You can just share a few minutes, a few words, a tea, a song. And so you're talking about the bed, but also dinner together. Dinner together, breakfast together, possibly. Some people run away at 4 a.m., as we know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, breakfast is harder. Yeah. Let's look at I. <laughs> Pilgrims will often ask each other on the trail, what's a fair amount to give in a donativo? Like, what's an appropriate yeah. amount to give? Is that even a question that you would engage with? I can't really. I tried to set a sort of minimum, especially I think this is very difficult for people coming from Asia. I don't know why, but they see them like lost when I tell them you can put whatever you feel like in the box, you know. I don't think it's fair to set a minimum because what is minimum for me is not minimum. It's not the same for you. And I would like people to be able to afford to do the Camino. And also, of course, we have bills and other expenses to cover, but it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a constant work for us as hospitalieros, you know. You just every day you, you get to deal with your own expectations. And yeah, it's a meditation. <laughs> and it's being able to receive. I don't think giving a price is good, honestly. I'm thinking about this from the outside. And mm -hmm this tension at work between the ideal of pilgrimage, generosity, mutual support and care, mm -hmm. and the real, which is you have savings, which have been affected by these last couple of years, and you have bills to pay. And, you know, the supermarket is not giving you the groceries on the donativo model. And at the same time, walking on the Camino del Norte in the middle of summer, there are a lot of private albergues now where the baseline price is at least 15 euros. And in the bigger cities, you are paying more than that. And so as you said, there are pilgrims who come into this thinking, all right, this will be my cheap night on the Camino. I don't know if there's even a question here. I'm just sort of expressing my frustration on your behalf that it's really hard operating as an ideal in a model where so many others around you are charging so much more. Does that tension play out for you in how you exist within this? No, I don't like to compare with others. And also they have their own way of doing the, their best. And there are many private places. When I say private, I mean albergues that charge for a price. Yeah. There are lovely and run by people who really care about the Camino so cannot put all on the same level you know of course I think we also we keep worrying about the wrong priorities it's just 
I don't know if I have it, I use it and I just want other people to be able to enjoy it because you know what? It gives me joy. This is the point. As long as it gives me joy, I know I'm doing the right thing and I know somehow I will get something in return. I might be wrong, but so far I'm supported and I know I can continue. And once I won't be, I might change my opinion, but I'm stubborn enough to believe that I'm right. There are people I've talked to who are worried that the Donativo model is dying. Mm-hmm. that it doesn't have a future on the Camino. Do you see it differently? Some days it's hard. Recently, Cantabria has changed the the rules, so I'm not sure yet. But yes, yeah, some, sometimes it's kind of disappointing. There's been a sort of generational change. Many of the older Donativo uh, hospitaleros have sold and they are changing life and a new sort of generation is coming in. No, I'm not the only one. We are trying to get ourselves sort of recognized under the name of Acogida Tradicional Jacobea. Mm. And we're still in the process because you probably know that uh, Donativos are, there was a petition going around looking for being uh, admitted as a immaterial UNESCO. Um, like World Heritage? Is that the... Yeah, yeah. So if we put a price, we end up being a touristic structure. And this is not the meaning. This is essential for me, but also for the other donativos. What is the resistance to that? Why wouldn't that be an obvious thing? This model seems so important, so, as you said, traditional to the Camino. Why wouldn't this be an obvious thing that officials would want to protect? I don't want to answer that the reason is money. Yeah. I'm afraid it is, but I don't want to say that. I I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Or maybe I'm too young in this to answer because I tend to be... I'm a bit dreamy. I live in my fairy tale world where everyone is nice. And I learned <laughs> at my expenses <laughs> that it's not always <laughs> like that. I'd love to hear you talk about the value of the communal meal. Mm-hmm. Because I think that for a lot of people, when they think on their Donativo experience, it all comes down to that dinner, that there's a lot of individual attention and one-on-one relationship with the host, but it is at that shared meal when community really is created, when people come together. Why is that aspect of it particularly important? You're asking an Italian. (laughs) (laughs) If I were Irish, I would tell you, let's go to the pub, but I'm Italian. So (laughs) that's how we share, you know, and Spanish I mean, it's pretty Mediterranean thing, maybe. It's not only that. It's not only the dinner. I've seen pilgrims surprised that I was sitting with them for breakfast. Mm. Breakfast can be nice, too. It's just if we don't get in the hurry of kicking people out, cleaning, and, you know. (laughs) It can be more intimate sometimes, breakfast. But the magic of the group is created during the dinner. I think the sharing the same meal and warm, fully 
belly is what makes most of people happy. There's a moment when they have the dessert and they eat the yogurt from their glasses and you hear this all silent. They're all silent. <laughs> and you just hear a cling, 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 cling. And you go, oh, this is the magic. I did it. <laughs> you know. I know that moment exactly. Yeah. What should pilgrims do to be good guests? What are the, your suggestions that pilgrims should keep in mind as they come into these kinds of environments? Well, there's one thing that is, I think it's written in Bodenaya that says, el turista exige, el peregrino agradece. The tourist asks for... Um, demands. Demands, bravo. But a pilgrim just receives, thankfully. This is the first main difference. The others, just be respectful. Look around you. Be aware <laughs> of where you are. That's all you need, you know. You know it yourself. The bags in the dorm, <laughs> loud alarms in the morning. <laughs> the basics. I'm still a pilgrim, you know, the basics. <laughs> Maybe don't take long showers. There's other people. We all need hot water. Please go to sleep around 10, not later. <laughs> It helps. There's not a ton of nightlife in Cabo Redondo. <laughs> there is a restaurant where you there can is. eat very well and a good bar. So you can stay at the bar, no problem. You just sneak in very silently and nobody will get hurt. <laughs> One of the things that I've thought about in recent years is I have an outlook. And maybe this is cultural. Maybe this is personal. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to impose. I don't want to make my host have to work on my behalf. I understand that. I want to take care of my own things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And on one hand, that's, I think, a good thing because I'm making life easier on the host. But there's also a risk that it becomes more transactional, that I am coming, I am using a bed, I am not making a personal connection because sometimes when we need something from others that connects us in a way like we we form a relationship through that mutual give and take and so if i'm never in a position to need then that cuts off the connection and makes the host merely someone who is providing me a bed mm -hmm. not a person who i form a relationship with and so i'm thinking about that too when you talk about how a pilgrim sort of receives and is is grateful. I do think it's important for pilgrims to recognize that the hosts are there to be in relationship with you. And that requires you to reach out, ask questions, seek help. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. That is also your role. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair point. But it's totally okay if someone, as you said, <laughs> doesn't need me. <laughs> I need to be needed to feel that I'm useful, but that's my problem. That's <laughs> all life <laughs> job I need to take care of and I'm working on it. But it's totally okay to not need me. <laughs> <laughs> I can face it. <laughs> so you are getting, hopefully, to normal, mm -hmm. something resembling normal this year. So mm -hmm. you open this week. What are you most excited for in the year ahead? The joy that we have just seeing faces through the door and people walking in, people walking out. 
And also, oh, I'm very excited to have people helping me. I've got a few pilgrims who want to come and help me for a few months. And it's so good. It feels so good when someone wants to come back. When they say, when I'm in Santiago, can I call you back and come back? And I, I say, yeah, sure. But then I know that not everyone will really do that. But some people do, and it's, it's amazing. And seeing people coming back year after year, I already have the same person coming and visiting me, even when I was closed, you know, knocking at my door, and you're still here again. How possibly? So if people want to stay in Cabaredondo, can they reach out ahead of time? Do they just show up? What's your preference? I would prefer just to come in the very same day, maybe when you are in Santillana or during the morning, just to see if I'm in I don't really like the system of reservation. We, we had it during COVID just to make things easier for people. And for special need, I would admit reservations. I would try not to. It's complicated. There are a lot of people who don't show up. I'm an old style pilgrim and I just like improvisation. Awesome, Julia. This has been a lot of fun. I hope that you have a 2023 without closures, without <laughs> breakdowns, without pandemics. Thanks. I think you're due for a good year. I think so too. Thanks, Dave. It was a wonderful moment of coincidence when Julia mentioned Ruitelan as a formative experience in her path to becoming a hospitalera. I have a vivid memory of my own with the village. I've told the story in part before. On my first Camino, I was determined to follow the Dragonte route from Via Franca del Bierzo. There was no good reason to do this. It was ill-advised. No pilgrims followed it then. There were no evident waymarks pointing me towards it. I didn't have GPS tracks. I just had a list of village names and of vague impression of the route. I blame David Gitlitz and Linda Davidson, authors of The Pilgrimage Road to Santiago, The Complete Cultural Handbook. They described the route and they tempted me. What could I do? Well, as it turns out, what I could do is get lost. Over and over again. The walk itself was great, but I didn't know what I was doing, and I made some bad choices. Ultimately, I got lucky And after God knows how many extra kilometers, I ended up back in the valley. I was totally wiped out, and so I just staggered into the first albergue I stumbled across. I didn't even really know that the village was Ruitelan. I was quickly ushered in by two enthusiastic hosts, the two men responsible for the albergue. The best way to put it is that I arrived empty, and I left full. I was shaken, a little unsteady, but I soon calmed down and settled in. I was tired, but I left energized and ready for a very wet climb to Osobrero. It has been a while, so the memories of that night are mostly flickers at this point. Some music around a piano, a cheerful dinner with a lot of conversation, laughter, so, so much laughter around the table. It was a happy night. I could tell a lot of different stories here about the many, many hosts that have made an impact on me over the years, but I want to focus on two. In both cases, they have moved on. 
but that almost makes me want to spotlight them more. So many hosts have come and gone. And these are dedicated shepherds of pilgrims of the Camino who deserve to be remembered. Staying on the Camino del Norte, not too far from Cabo Redondo, I learned last July that Javier of the Albergue Aves de Paso in Pendueles was moving on. I stayed with Javier on two different occasions, first in 2013, soon after he had opened, and then again six years later. On both visits, I was there with groups of my high schoolers. Javier, like Julia, had been trained in the Bodhinaya tradition. He greeted pilgrims individually as they arrived, took care of our laundry, prepared dinner and breakfast, made sure we had everything we needed. Understandably, I don't think he knew exactly what to do with American teenagers. On that first visit, his English was limited. My student Spanish was equally limited, probably more so. And there was thus ample room for misunderstanding. But before long, he brought out a guitar, and suddenly someone was playing House of the Rising Sun, as inevitably happens when an acoustic guitar appears. And before you knew it, he and the three squirrelist boys had found some common ground. When we returned six years later, he was ready. He was excited to show he had been working on his English, and he continued to make the effort to speak with the kids. This time, he had a set of juggling balls to break out, and before long, he had some of the students hooked on them. The failure rate was, of course, quite high with a bunch of amateur jugglers, and at one point, disaster struck as one of the balls went careening downhill. We searched all over the place. We looked under cars and bushes, down a sewer drain. We couldn't find it. I felt terrible. I felt we had let him down. But Javier was unfazed. We moved on to dinner, and all was well. The following morning, he woke us with music, had plenty of coffee ready, and saw us off warmly. But here's the postscript to that visit. We arrived at our albergue the next day and checked in, only to have our host say that Javier had sent something for us. It was the complete set of juggling balls. He found the missing one, and then gave us all of them to carry forward. A little bit of joy to look forward to at the end of each day. Another donativo, or offerta, I should say, that sticks in my mind was in Viterbo, Italy. For an all-too-brief time, a group of scouts in the town had worked together to restore a tower in the city walls. A tower, they were quick to tell me, that had once served as a guest room for a visiting pope. Luciano showed us the tower and got us settled into beds and mats. Grazia prepared a masterful dinner for us. And Mario... Mario had the keys to seemingly every church in town, and he gladly showed us around, giving us the total access tour of sacred places in Viterbo. And then the next day, he and his son volunteered to show us an alternative approach to Sutri through the woods. For all of that, though, it was the time spent together around the dinner table that will stick with me forever. I had maybe 50 words of Italian in my repertoire, my group had nothing, and our hosts were similarly unequipped in English. 
but it truly didn't matter. The spirit of generosity, the earnest desire to care for these visitors shaped every interaction. Sadly, they lost access to the tower, and thus the albergue closed. But I'll never forget their generosity. I'll never forget it in part because they gifted me a five-kilo coffee table book of the Via Francigena, which felt like a bit of a prank as we still had more than 100 kilometers of walking ahead of us. But I squeezed it in the pack, and I'm very happy to still have it today. Would these places have been cheapened by having a set price? Maybe not. Probably not. I know the albergue in Rue Telan has a set price these days, and as I said, there's a long list of places I've stayed with set prices that have left equally profound and lasting impacts upon me. Over and over again, though, I go back to the fact that one of the defining characteristics of pilgrimage is intentionality. It's walking with a purpose, an internal process that unfolds alongside the external one. And a donativo albergue requires intention. You have to think about the money you place in the donation box in a different way. How do you convey gratitude or appreciation for hospitality freely given? It doesn't come only or even primarily through money, of course, nor should it. When there's a set price, though, this question might not even come up. It's easy to conclude that you've already fulfilled your end of the bargain. But also, how do you fulfill your responsibilities to a community that has taken you in? How do you make it sustainable for those who follow? The exercise here is to not see this as a one-to-one transaction, but rather a link in a larger chain, a mutually rewarding system of give and take. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do what Julia is doing, what other hosts in Donativo-based albergues have done. I don't have enough trust. I couldn't put my savings, my livelihood, my future on the line that way. Perhaps the misstep lies in framing the situation that way in my own mind, but I can't help it. I do. But I think acknowledging that makes me want to support those who can live according to those ideals, all the more. I like their vision of the world. I want their trust and their faith to be validated. I want their work to continue to bring them joy. And I want all of the hospitaleros, and Julia especially, to have a good year, after facing so many complications over these past two. That's all for this episode. Thanks again to Julia Sotanis for speaking with me. You can find her at Albergue Izara, I-Z-A-R-R-A, in Cabo Redondo, on the Camino del Norte, and on Facebook at Albergue de Peregrinos Izara. All episodes of the Camino Podcast can be found on Spotify, Google, Apple, and SoundCloud. You can reach me at CaminoPodcast at gmail.com and through the Camino Podcast Facebook page. Thanks as always for listening. Back again next week.